Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Uh, breakfast today and the class is dedicated in loving memory at Leilu Nishman Mordechai Tzvi Ben Blima Yehudi, Aleva Shalom, sponsored by his daughter Penina Soberman. Breakfast and the class is dedicated as well in loving memory, Leilu Nishman Esterbat Victoria, Aleva Shalom, sponsored by her grandson Mayor Shwai, and as well. Breakfast is dedicated in loving memory of Sam Yisrael, Alev Shalom, Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Rivka. Sponsored by Abraham Nachmayas, Hazaku Baruch. As well, we also have a, a thank you to uh, to the coffee brew, for the coffee brew for Sunny Nakin and Michael Dweck, Hazaku uh, Baruch. Okay, let's get started. The Torah tells us uh, two interesting words from Sarah Imenu to Abraham Avinu which I think teaches a very deep and, uh, and powerful lesson about the power that we have, perhaps that we are not always aware of. You know, um, Sarah and Abraham are trying desperately to have children, but somehow, you know, week after week goes by, month after month goes by, and nothing, no kids. Sarai comes to Abraham, and she says something, actually, that we find... Uh, repeated as well later on in the Torah. She says to him, Hamasi Alecha. What does that mean? Hamasi Alecha. She says, I'm upset at you. And the word Hamas doesn't just mean that I'm upset at you because we don't have children. It means Hamas, the word Hamas, we just had it in Parashat Noah. Hamas means you stole something. It means you took something from me. Now the question is, what in the world did Abraham take from Sarai Imenu? If she didn't have kids, that was between Akadosh Baruch Hu and her. What did Abraham steal from her? What did Abraham take from her? We find a very similar expression with Rachel Imenu. When Rachel can't have children, she comes to Yaakov Avinu and she says that he's very, she's very angry at him. She says, Give me children. And if not, I'm going to die. Yaakov says, what do you want? It's not from me. You see, I'm having children with Leah. It's not from me. It's, it's, you, it's a problem that you have in you. It's, a, it's an issue. So again, what was Rachel Imenu saying to Yaakov Avinu? You think Yaakov didn't want to have kids with Rachel? It was, she was the love of his life. Rabotai, the answer is something very powerful. You know, there was a, uh, a yeshiva in Eretz Israel that they had in this school a child whose father passed away when he was very young. The child was an orphan. Anyway, the kid's getting up to all sorts of shenanigans. We don't know, we don't understand, guys, the power of a male influence, of a positive role model in the home is, it cannot be overstated. And if you're someone that travels a lot or is very busy with the business, and business can be anything. It can be, uh, you know, flying to China for manufacturing. It could be that you're a rabbi of a shul. If you are not present and you're not around to be an influence on your child, you should just be aware that if you're not going to be the role model and lead him, the kid's looking up to and emulating somebody. And if it's not you, you better be careful. Who's it going to be? Who's the person? Who's the kid? Uh, start to look up to and start to, to think to themselves that they want to emulate that person. So it's not always easy when a child has to grow up, especially a boy, to grow up without a dad in the home. 
ascertain what that kid is. And I don't know if, uh, how, much, how much people here are into the politics, but there's a lot that's being spoken about online by various presidents and other people where they talk about the fact that in many inner city communities, there's the dads are not around, they're deadbeat dads. And the result of that is that the likelihood of a child not to go get a job, the likelihood of a child to turn to crime skyrockets without a father in the house, without uh, having a man present. So it's important to remember that, the, the impact and the imprint that you leave on each one of your boys, and the same as well for the, for the girls is to have a very strong feminine role model. And if they're not seeing that in their house, then oftentimes they're picking some other role model and they're looking on the news, on the TV, on wherever they might find it, and they might think that that's the way a woman's supposed to be because they didn't see it at home. Do not outsource your children to your cleaning lady, Rabotai. This is your job, and it's their future, and it sits in your hands. Sarah tells Abraham, Hamasela, you took something from me. So there's a yeshiva in Eretz Israel that has a young man in it whose father passed away when he was very young. And the kid starts getting up to all sorts of trouble. Anyway, they feel bad. They don't want to call in this mother. She's an almana. She's a widow. The Torah goes to great lengths to tell you about all that you have to do for a, a yatom, for an orphan, an almana, and a widow. To great lengths. How you can never make them upset. And you can never uh, cause them to cry out to God. Because if you do, the ramifications are going to be very bad for us. Rabotai. The school did everything. They warned the kid. They told him he's got one last chance ten times. And everything that they said to the kid, they told him they're going to throw him out. Nothing worked. Finally, they realized the kid is such a disruptive influence. There's other kids in the class, in the school, that are being affected and are deteriorating in their behavior and in their schooling because of him. So there's only so much that a school could turn their eyes away from, could turn a blind eye to. And finally, the day comes where they realize that they have no other choice to protect the rest of the kids in the school. They have no other choice but to throw this boy out. With a heavy heart, they call the mother in, the, the almana, call her into the office. And the woman is sitting there and they say, look, we're so sorry. We tried everything we could. But we got to a stage now where we have to, you have to ask your son to find a new, new place to study, a new place to learn, because, uh, you know, he, he can't be here anymore. Other kids are following his lead. He's, you know, he's a, he's a damage, he's a danger to the other boys. We can't have him here anymore, we're so sorry. Almanah says, you're not allowed to throw my son out. They said, what do you mean? What do, we, what do you mean we're not allowed? We just told you we have to... The woman says, you have no right to throw my son out. She says, you never told me that the situation had got this bad. You can't throw him out because you didn't tell me. They said, ma'am, what would you have done differently? How many speeches did we give him? How many warnings did we give him? How many threats did we make? What difference would it have made if you would have known how bad the situation with your son was? We thought we were doing you a favor by trying to shield you from this and not making you feel so terrible and we know that you have a lot going on at home. The woman says, if I would have known, I would have prayed. 
And if I would have prayed, he would have changed. This is the first time you're telling me you can't throw him out. You have no right. The principal looks at the rabbi, at the rebbe of the class. They're uncomfortably looking at one another. They're not going to fight with this lady. They say, okay, you know what? We'll give the boy another 30 days. One month, if, every, if nothing changes, he's out. Rabotai, in the 30 days that this kid, that this kid is now in the yeshiva, and his mother knows, and she's praying her heart out for him, the boy turns his life around completely. Why, Rabotai? Because you cannot compare when someone who truly cares about someone prays from the bottom of their heart, Rav Chaim Kanievsky used to say that when someone who cares about someone prays for you, when you pray, with that level of intensity, Rabotai, it's greater than the prayers of a great tzaddik. Why? We see from Yitzhak Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu says to Esav, he says, go prepare me the special foods that I like. In order that I should bless you from the bottom of my heart. A prayer that comes from the depths of somebody's soul impacts the person unbelievably. In fact, the Kotzka Rebbe used to say that we know later on we're going to read about Yaakov Avinu, that Yaakov says, I took the city of Shechem with my sword with my bow. The Unkulus, the translation, the Targum says about those two words, what did, how did Yaakov take the city of Shechem? Remember they were at war with the city after they kidnapped his daughter. How did he win the war? With my prayers and with my requests from Hashem. Ask the Kutzker, in what way is a prayer compared to a bow and arrow? Says the Kutzker, with a bow and arrow, the closer you pull the arrow to your heart, the further it flies. And so too, in tefillah, the closer you pull it to your heart, the further it flies. Rabbutai, Sarai Menu came to Abraham and she said, I don't have kids. If I don't have kids, it's because you didn't pray enough. You took something from me. But this language, Rabbutai, it teaches us something so penetrating. And that is, that to steal something from somebody, you don't have to take their iPhone, or their keys, or their money. In the Torah's eyes, when you could do something for somebody, and you don't do it, you stole it from them. So I was trying to work out this idea. How could such a thing be? If I, if I didn't do something for you, that I could, that's stealing? If, if I took something that belongs to you, that's stealing. If I didn't do something for you that I could have done, why is that stealing? That's just me not being a super nice guy. If I could help, if I could pray, if I could give a beracha and I don't do it, that's stealing? That's just me not choosing to go the extra mile. You can't claim that I'm a thief. Rabbi Tani, the answer is very simple. Another guy's got to work harder again. That's true, that's true also. But still not a thief, right? I think the answer, Rabbi Tai, is so magnificent. There was a fellow over here in the synagogue, in this synagogue, who owed me money. The guy owed me money, a certain amount of money. Anyway, so he said to me, Rabbi, um, 
there's a guy in the shul, he owes me 5,000, I owe you 5,000, so take it from him. I'm going to call him, I'm going to tell him, right? Meanwhile, I think to myself, Shema Yisrael, the guy owes me money, now I've got to become the big hurt. Shlomo Blue Eyes, Yanni. You know, you go get the money, break his legs. I, <laughs> when did I become the mafia? All right, anyway, so I go to the guy, and Baruch Hashem, the guy says, no, of course, don't worry, I'm good for it. Yeah, and, and, and he gave me the money that the other guy owed me, and everything was, you know, it was made whole, it was square. But let me ask you, Rabotai, a question. What would happen if I went to guy number two, and I said to him, guy number one said you owe him the money, guy number one owes me the money, so guy number one says now you owe me the money. And what if the guy would say to me, I don't want to give you the money? Is that not him not being a nice guy? Or is that him stealing from me? He's stealing from me. Why? Because that guy was trying to give me the money. His money was by you. That money now is mine. It's for me. Abu Tai. when God gives you things in this world, and He exposes you to somebody that has a need for that thing, and you have the power to give it to them. That was God giving him something by putting it by you. Wow. God gave the power of tefillah to you. And he gave that person this need. And the guy comes and he says, I need you to pray for me. I need you to do something. Withholding what I can do for you when I can do it for you. God gave you that for me. It's sitting by you. It's mine. It's not yours. When a, 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 shir, a person is wealthy and someone who's poor comes to him and they say, I need some money. Not only do you not give tzedakah, especially if you didn't give from your ma'aser, you stole money from the poor man. That 10% it was never yours. God gave it to him through you. Rabotai, chamasi alecha. Number one, the power of tefillah. But number two, the impact, the impact of understanding that if I'm with somebody who needs something and I can do something for them, Borei Olam gave me that thing that I can do for them on their behalf. And it's not up to me to decide whether or not I want to give it. I must. Rabotai, I want to end with this. There was a rabbi uh, in uh, Ashdod uh, from Chabad who used to go to the prison in Ashdod to try and help the people there do Teshuvah. Somebody is there in prison, there's usually a good reason why he's there. It's not usually a conspiracy theory, right? The guy, he needs to do Teshuvah, so this guy would come, he would teach them right from wrong, he would try and rehabilitate them, make them into better people, that when they would come out, they would be better fathers, they would be better uh, brothers, you know, workers, friends, whatever. And with each one of the people in the prison, you know, the, he was uh, very successful. One day he notices that the warden, when he goes around to tell everyone that the rabbi is here, he would knock at every cell and tell them the rabbi is here. And every day, he noticed, there was one cell in the prison he would skip. He don't knock on the guy's door, on the, on the bars. Rabbi comes to him and he says, I don't understand. How come there's one guy, the whole place you're telling about the shiur, this guy you're not telling about me, Matthew Yehud, the guy's not Jewish? He says, no, he is Jewish. He says, how come you're not asking him if he wants to come to the prayers, to the study? He says, Rabbi, I don't think you understand. This prisoner is a lifer. He's in prison for life, a violent criminal, no chance of parole. Okay? He spends most of the day in solitary confinement, 
One half hour a day, he's granted the ability to go out and walk the yard. 23 and a half hours, he has to be in solitary confinement because he's such a dangerous person. The rabbi says, okay, if he can't come out, then I'll go to him. The guy says, Rabbi, I don't think you understand. People don't last in the cell with him. If we bring somebody in to speak to him, the guy, he goes majnoon, he scares them, he beats, he tries to beat them up. You can't go in there, it's very dangerous. The rabbi says, listen, I'm a rabbi, I was trained to believe that there's a light on in there somewhere and you just have to find it. He says, give me a chance. If you're scared for me, he says, come inside the cell with me. So if anything happens, you can pull me out. The guy says, Rabbi, you're majnoon. Rabbi says, that's my prerogative. The guy, rabbi bring, he brings the rabbi into the cell. He doesn't even want to scare to close even the door because if he has to get him out quick. He brings the rabbi into the lion's den. The rabbi sits down and says, Hi, my name is this and this. What's your name? He tells him his name. He says, you know, uh, would you like to study? We've been learning together with the other group a little bit about our, our great-great-grandparents. How special Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov were. Is this something that you want to learn about? The guy kind of shrugs his shoulders and the rabbi starts talking. After two minutes, you see the guy's interested. He's listening. He's asking questions. Half hour goes by. 45 minutes. An hour goes by. The prisoner warden is sitting, his mouth is hanging open. And the rabbi's talking to him and talking to him. Finally, the prisoner, Rabotai, the rabbi turns to the prisoner. He says, you heard all that we spoke about. He says, yes. He says, would you like to learn more? He says, yes. He says to the prisoner, but before I go, you, you know, you believe that there's a God that runs the world. We're not here by ourselves, right? The guy says, yeah. So he says, would you like to make your creator happy? The guy says, okay. He says, I have with me a pair of tefillin. I don't know if you ever did this before. The guy says, no. He says, you put the tefillin on. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. You make your God happy, you put tefillin on. The guy says, okay. The, guy, the warden can't believe his eyes. So the rabbi says, okay, roll up your sleeve. He rolls up his sleeve. And as the rabbi is sliding the tefillin on and the guy, kid guy is pulling up his sleeve, the rabbi, <gasps> the place where he's supposed to put tefillin right on the muscle, the guy had a tattoo of a naked woman there. The rabbi is bifledged now. Was he going to tell the guy to make the rabbi Hashem happy? He's going to put the tefillin on the naked G. What did you know? The rabbi thinks to himself, "What well, you know? What if it's the wrong thing to do? If it's an avon for to put tefillin on top of a tattoo, especially one this appropriate?" He says, "I'll take on the punishment is mine." Like Rivka says, the Esther, you know, I like I'll take it on so that this Jew should have a chance at least once in his life to put tefillin on. I'm going to take on the onish. I'm going to put it on. He puts on the tefillin. He covers as much as he can the tattoo so he can make the beracha. He makes the beracha, puts the tefillin on. And he tells the man, he says, would you like me to come back tomorrow? The man says, please. Take off the tefillin. They walk outside. The warden says, Rabbi, I don't understand. No social worker lasted five minutes. Nobody's managed to do anything. How is it that you walk in like this? How is that possible? 
And the rabbi tells the prisoner warden, he says, I don't know what they were talking about. He said, but I was talking with him Torah. And this young man, although he's a very violent person, no one had ever bothered to give him a chance to do something beautiful, to do something holy. Everyone was always trying to fix him, trying to threaten him, trying to give him ultimatums. But who prayed for him? Who prayed with him? Who studied Torah with him? Nobody. But look, like the Pasuk says, Hoy kol lechu Whoa, every thirsty person runs to drink the Torah as compared to water. This guy, he was dying for the words of Torah, but no one ever gave him that chance. Rabbi the next day, after the class, the rabbi walks with the warden into the prison cell. And the man, before they even start, starts pulling up his sleeve. And he says, Rabbi, today you're not going to have any problems. And the rabbi says, what do you mean? And the man keeps pulling up the sleeve. And there's no tattoo on his arm. All that's left is burning, raw, red flesh. The guy had seen the rabbi put the tefillin on and how hesitant he was because of the picture of this woman right there. So he sat in his cell with a rock and he scraped off his own skin in order to be able to put the tefillin on in holiness. One day of someone praying for and praying with him because they cared enough about him and look what it accomplished. The guy is willing to rip his own skin off to be able to connect to Borei Olam to do the right thing. Rabotai, we have such a tremendous power when we allow our hearts to be ignited. And Sarai, man who says to Abraham, Chamasi Alecha, if only, if you cared enough, you'd pray enough. And if you prayed enough, then we'd experience the miracle that we're waiting for. May God grant us all of our tefillot and may God grant us this beautiful heart. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.